I'd been gone for, I don't know, six, eight days or something. And my secretary said, you should go see your patient. He's waiting for you in your room. When your secretary tells that to you, that's usually not a good thing. Is he in more pain? Turn the corner, walk in my office, and he's sitting there with the Makita jigsaw, and he looks at me and goes, Doc, you gotta figure this thing out, because this saved my life. That moment, the universe did an open hand punch to my chest, and I realized this is where my journey starts. That's Dr. Jason Worsland, creator of the Theragun, a therapy device that put his company, Therabody, on the map. Theragun is backed by some big names. Justin Timberlake claims to be the company's first investor, and the likes of Jay-Z and Daniel Craig also have a stake. I'd love to go to the AGM, but arguably the most exciting celebrity user is me. Yep, that's right. Move over Cristiano Ronaldo. I have a Theragun. It was my favorite pandemic purchase. I absolutely love it. Jason created the first Theragun after getting into a dark place. He was in chronic pain, 10 out of 10 pain, after a motorbike accident in 2008. So he took his chiropractic background and built a tool he needed from his garage. This is a nuts story, and I think you're going to love Jason. I'd let him work on my back for sure. But seriously, I learned a lot from him and how to manage people, including the real trick to getting celebrity clients for your business. Not many children grow up dreaming of becoming a chiropractor, but not many people are like Jason or have neighbors like he did. My neighbor when I was growing up was the chiropractor for the Utah Jazz. I would watch him, literally his door to his home office, he had an office in his house, was right outside of our house. So I could see what's going on there. And if he brought in a, 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 one of the basketball players, I'd run over there and, and ask if I could see and watch what he does. And I've always been really intrigued by the fact that this guy could do so many things with just his hands. Like he could do so many, he was so talented. And he would, these guys would come in in a mess and they'd leave just praising him. And I thought, what is that guy doing? I'm so intrigued by that. It seemed like that was so far away from me. You know, I'd have to go to school for four years and then I'd have to go to school for another four years. And it just seemed being the oldest, my family wasn't wealthy by any means. Always had to work. I started when I was super young. I started working when I was 12 years old in the fields of a farm, picking peas and strawberries. And I would get paid by the weight of how much I put in that bucket. So it wasn't very much. But at the time, you know, my, I, I'm so great, grateful that happened. And my parents love that I say that. Because the work ethic that I got, just have to get up early in the morning because in the summertime, you didn't want to sit out in the sun was 100 degrees or 40 in your case. Just I had a really cool work ethic and I was really proud of, of the fact that my parents did that to me. I was a lifeguard for a little bit of my life in my late teens. I opened a flooring store when I was 25, 26. And uh, my business partner three years later embezzled money and I had to file bankruptcy. So all these years I'd worked so hard to get to this place and now suddenly I couldn't, I wasn't able to work myself out of that. And so suddenly I was, I file, had to file bankruptcy at the same time I was going through a divorce. You know, you kind of fail your way to success. And in my opinion, failure is, is quitting and I just never quit. So I would have, I would have losses, but I would just pick up and go figure it out. So 
after I had to file bankruptcy and went through divorce, I realized, you know what, I have a chance to start my life over again. And how, what do I want that to look like for the next 50 years of my life? I'd always wanted to be a chiropractor. So I called this guy, his name's Craig Bueller, and I said, hey man, I want to do this. And he goes, you know, funny thing, I know the president of the school in Los Angeles. Coincidentally, the reason I chose Los Angeles was because it's a one hour flight away from my kids, hour and 10 minutes. And I have two children. And they were young and I didn't want to miss them growing up. So I just wanted to be able to jump on a plane and go back and see them. So it just worked out. He knew the guy. He wrote a letter of recommendation. I got accepted. So I started chiropractic school when I was 28. And learning science, chemistry, physics, all of those things later in life when that's not, was never really my strong point. And having it become a love of mine, like I really love that stuff now. It's so interesting to me. I spent a lot of my time on um, geometry. So you decide to go in to become a chiropractor. What's that process like? You know, you start at 28, um, you start, like you say, learning these subjects you've never learned in your life and you have to start understanding the chemistry of the body really and how things fit together and how they work. Um, how many years were you doing this and what was your routine? I would try and fly home every other weekend because my kids were so important and that sacrifice of being away from them gets me emotional sometimes. You know, the fact that I missed out on, you know, daddy-daughter days and, and scouting camps and stuff with my son. Uh, about three or four years, years into it, I realized that my relationship with my kids is different. Not better, not worse, just different. And the reason I say that is obviously I have a bunch of I have 28 nephews and nieces. So like I've seen my kids, my brothers and sisters grow up with their kids and the relationship they have. So one of the valuable things that I've taken away from that experience is when I'm talking to my children on the phone, they can't ignore me. They're not playing on their phone. They're not talking to their friends, which is typically what happens if you're in the house. They're watching TV, sit down and talk to me. But if I, my son calls me after a basketball game, I hear play by play what happened in his mind, what he wanted me to remember. And that connection we have is still super strong. My routine was basically going back and forth every other week based on birthdays and holidays and things like that. Uh, the first two or three years, funny story, I, I got into chiropractic school with my hours that I thought were enough to just jump right into chiropractic school. So I would have the four years of, of chiro school. Sitting in my first day of school, first day of class, knock, 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 person opens the door, asks for me. I'm in the room with 30 other people. I step out in the hallway and he says, we miscalculated your hours. You have to go back and do night school for what's essentially three years. And I'm like, if you could only imagine, I was looking at this guy and he suddenly turned into like an ax and I wanted to throw him out the window. I was so mad. But I, so I had to start over and that's when I went back and I had to start doing physics, chemistry, you know, organic chemistry, labs all of that. So I was going into this, Dan, thinking it was going to take me four years at max. Now, suddenly I just tacked on another three years at, at, at its best. So my routine basically was working at my dad's flooring store in the morning. I'd get up first thing in the morning, 8, 30, 9 o'clock, go to the store. I'd work till three or four. I'd go to school till about 11. I'd, and I just did that for about two and a half years. Got my bachelor's in science, transferred now into chiropractic school. So now it's full time. You're going full time from eight in the morning until three or four in the afternoon. In 2006, I realized that I could have a practice in California and I needed to get out of the flooring business. It was such a, it was such a, you know, one leg in different worlds. I just wasn't successful in doing that. So I started a chiropractic practice working with another chiropractor in Los Angeles. And that's really what changed that. Yes, it was challenging to, 
learn those classes and have to be a, such a different routine than I was so used to in my life. As an entrepreneur, I could decide whether I wanted to lay carpet that day or not. But one of the most fascinating things that I learned, and I still practice it today, is how I learn. How do I learn? What's the easiest way for me to assimilate information and be able to tra transmit that back out? That's how I look at my experience in chiropractic school, my experience in life is what am I learning and how can I help people around me learn from that? I'm in a quantum medicine program right now. I'm, I'm always trying to learn. I think there's so much more out there for us to understand. And I don't want to be stagnant. You know, I see chiropractors and other people, they get in their practice and, you know, they live in caves. They live in their house. It's a cave. They live in their car. It's a cave. And they live in their practice. It's a cave. They don't get to get out and do things. And I I'm blessed because I get to, but I also feel the responsibility of making sure that people understand the values that I have that have got me to where I am. So my routine was, was it sort of shifted depending on what was happening in my life, but my kids were always number one as much as I could be physically or on a phone. And then I spent most of my time just studying, trying to figure out how I learn. And once I learned how I learn, then it was like, just started coming. It was super quick. Um, so you, you've spent the years, you've done your time. Now you're doing the crime. So what happens? You're a practicing chiropractor where in LA, Yep. back yep. in Utah. Where are you? I tried, I went, once I graduated, I tried to go back to Utah for a year. I wanted to be near my kids and I, it just didn't work. I, I just, it wasn't the same mentality. It was just, I couldn't, I was a fish out of water. And having been in California for that many years, I was like, I, I can't do this. I was practicing from 2006, um, all of 2006, almost all of 2007, and then I got in a motorcycle accident, and that's when my life changed. It, it literally, now I'm 38, and I got in this motorcycle accident, and I, I, it literally changed the course of my life. So I was practicing in LA, that's, I, and I had a, a decent practice. And in LA, if you're in the right circles, you get celebrities and athletes and that, stuff, that sort of thing. And that's the area that I was kind of focusing on. Um, I was being a concierge mm. chiropractor to some people um, at different times. I was on movie sets and different things. So I really got exposed to a lot of different things, but it was all in LA and I loved that. It was different. It wasn't the same monotony every time. And the patience I had was just, you know, 15 year old girl, female gymnast to uh, uh, Larry David, you know, like that. it was like from one end to the other. So it taught me a lot about how to communicate with people, but it also kept me on my toes. I loved it. Okay, and just uh, like quick interlude because Larry David is like my all-time favorite. So <laughs> did he just always complain? How much complaining did Larry David do? Because you just like bottle that complaint and just <laughs> want it. Did you become addicted to his complaints? Did you want more of them? Or were you like, Larry, just be happy? Yeah, he's not much different than you see on TV. And a lot of I the sets imagine. that you see are actually his. Like his office is his office. Um, his house is sort of similar to his house. The funny thing to me is he's a skeptic. Like I was working on his elbow one time and I, I was sitting right next to him working on his elbow and we were having this conversation and I said, LD, isn't it hilarious that I'm working on Larry David's funny bone? And he was like, ha, <laughs> that's all I got out of him. The one strong, ha, he was, he's a great guy. That is a great joke. I'm sorry. That is a great joke. You deserve, <laughs> you deserve some respect for yeah. that. But when you say he's a skeptic, like what, like, you know, as a patient, was he like dubious whether you could work your magic for him? Yeah. Or yeah, like one time he called me, um, and I've got to be careful too because there's HIPAA laws and stuff over here. But one time he called me, he had an issue, and I told him where I was. I said, I'm, I'm 10 minutes away. I can swing by your house. He's like, it's late. But I'm like, that's okay. It's I know I, I can hear what the problem is. I think I can fix it. So I show up. 
I'm there for 10 minutes and I get him better. And he's like, that, that can't be, that can't be. How did you, and he just, he was stuck in his, how, he's moving around. He's like, how did you do that? I, I'm going to call you tomorrow. He was, he's, he's just that guy. Um, and, and I made a bet with him one time that I was going to fix a certain thing that he had by a certain time. And and as it got closer, he was like, I don't know. I don't know. I think I'm going to win this bet. You know, a lot of people, when you work on them, they're really, really open and accepting. And you could almost hit them in the head with a piece of wood and they'd get better because they believe in that so strongly. I wouldn't say Larry's a non-believer, but I just think he's really skeptical. He grew up in a different time, you know, and having a chiropractor work on you and crack bones to make you feel better, like that's just has been sort of quackery in his mind. So it's just a different mindset. And it's that's up to me to navigate. You know, I've got to make sure that he's comfortable with what I'm doing and that our relationship is such a way. But, you know, with people like him, it's um, I feel like where I'm good at is just telling him to shut up. Like, you know, shut up, be quiet. I'm working. Like, and I, I have this, I have this motto. I think it's kind of cool to share with people, especially someone like you think right now. I've learned that through my life, whatever the situation is, that it, I have a three-step process. BRT, support, educate. BRT stands for build relationship of trust. And I tell people that can take a year or a beer because if you can create that relationship of trust, then you can now support that person. If you were my patient, I would create a relationship of trust, understand your life, your movements, your habits, what you do with your body, and then I would start supporting you. And I'd not change what you're doing, but plug in, hey, do this and fix that. And, and that's what I really do with a lot of athletes from Ronaldo to you know some of the artists I work with is I'm their coach when it comes to implementing these things in their life to be able to be a support to them. A lot of them don't pay me. That's not why I do it. And then the last thing is educate. And educate could be, in some cases, it could be sales. I always feel like I'm not selling anything to you. I'm just educating you on something you should have and you decide whether you want it or not. So BRT, support and educate. And that's the kind of process that I go through with Larry David. You know, I, at some point he's going to ask me, how can I do this on my elbow by myself? And then I get to educate him. So it, that's been a successful formula for me. And the first part is most important. If you don't have a relationship of trust, it's not going to go anywhere. It's interesting because you notice, obviously, we have different crafts here. And, you know, my craft in this beer being interviewing. And the first thing that we do is, you know, establish a relationship of trust, you know, making sure it's really clear, like, you know, how I'm going to behave so I don't catch you totally off guard and that you should feel free how to reject my questions or how to push back and stuff so that we actually have a respectful trust-based conversation because if you were in London, we'd be doing this over a beer. (laughs) Yeah, we had a metaphorical beer. Who was more of a diva then, uh, Larry David or Ronaldo? (laughs) Next question. (laughs) Very good. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more. 
getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secret leaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secret leaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI. But until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. Okay, I mean, I feel like we're getting to the meaty part here. I mean, how do you, as a chiropractor, there's, 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 I'm assuming thousands of chiropractors that get trained out of LA and then hundreds of them presumably go work in LA because there'll be so much business there, right? So much sports personality living there, no matter where they play in the country, probably a lot of them reside in LA. So you're not going to be short of competition. So how come you were in the enviable position to find these kind of clients? Um, can you tell us a little bit about what happened next in your career? You know, I think it's, it, I honestly think it's luck. And, you know, they say luck is being prepared at the right time when the, when the opportunity shows up. Preparedness meets opportunity. Yeah. And I think that's probably a lot of what happened. You know, I found myself, hey, can you stop by? And I'd stop by and they were so-and-so would be there and I'd get a chance to interact with them. The biggest thing to these people that live that type of life is the trust. And I never asked for a photo. I didn't pull my phone out and say, hey, can I get a selfie? Never, ever did I ask for anything from them. Once I used to tell them, when you laid face down on my table, you're just another body. I don't, it doesn't matter to me how much money you make, how famous you are. I have a job to do. And that, that reputation starts to spread really slowly throughout that community. You know, I could list off a bunch of different really high uh, top celebrities that I've got to know really well. And the reason that I do is I don't kiss and tell. And I also am very respectful of their time. I mean, there's times I've shown up and I don't even see them, but I went out of my way to make a diff change in my day to get there and it doesn't happen, but that's just their life. I, I'm not really starstruck because I look at them as a body. I'm trying to figure out, I was with a, 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 a an actor the other day and I was walking behind him and I was with, we were with a bunch of people and I, I noticed something with his gait. And so I started asking him about, hey, have you had this? And what have, have you had that? And he's, he's like, yeah, how do you know? And, I, and then suddenly he opens up to me. I remember I walked into a, a movie set and I was on a, those little um, star wagons, they call them, where they're like little motor coaches and they, work, they have their makeup and everything in there. And I was, I was sitting down with this person and they were getting their hair and makeup done and they were talking to me and they were telling me things I didn't want to know. And I'm just like, ah, I don't want to know this. But I realize, I realize through time that when I walk through the door, I'm not a fan. I'm a doctor. 
I'm going to put my hands on them. I'm going to get in their space. I'm going to exchange energy with them. And they see that differently. And I have to honor that. The times that I haven't, which have been very few, it ends up not working out. You know, if, if I'm, if I get awestruck or I'm, I'm frustrated or something happens and it's just not a good vibe, then it doesn't work out. So I think for people to understand, I look at it like I'm there to help them and I'm getting in their space, whether it's physical in the wagon or I'm literally physically in their space with their body. I've got to understand where that boundary is and allow them to take that steps, those steps toward the trust factor. And they're going to tell me things that, you know, they probably won't even tell sometimes their physical, their medical doctor. If I could bottle something up and give it to someone, I think that's probably what I would do is, is give them that understanding of recognizing that these people want you to help them. They don't, they don't want to sign autographs. They don't want selfies. They want you to help them. And when you do, it's so valuable to them. It's beyond dollars. And then they start referring you to other people. And suddenly I find myself with this person or that person in it or on this movie set or on this video, like video shoot. So, and every single time I have to maintain nobility and character every time. And I tell myself that I have to walk in, make sure I look right. I'm not too crazy with my energy. I've got to make sure I flow in there nice that I'm, when I'm with them, it's just crazy enough. Yeah. Just crazy enough with some people. Yeah. This is, you know, this is some of the, the skills that you've had to learn in order to manage people's psyches and in, in order to work with them in their mental headspace by working on their physical bodies. All of those are super practical skills you learn on the job. I'm curious about, you know, where those skills actually help prepare you for a proper life of entrepreneurship that's coming up. So, you know, sort of next stage of your development. So what I'm really keen to know is tell us a little bit about this motorbike accident. What happened? I was 38 years old. It was October 17th of 2007. I was, I call it the triangle. I was home, school, and my practice. And so I was just going through this. That was my routine. And I was driving a motorcycle. In Los Angeles, you can split traffic like you can in Europe. And I was splitting traffic on the freeway. And uh, a car realized it was, wasn't on the right path. And it suddenly shot in front of me. And I T-boned the side of this Volkswagen going about 90 kilometers an hour. Um, it, I, it knocked me out. I was un unconscious, laying on the freeway. It broke my helmet. It was a pretty strong impact. But what happened to my body after that was what really caused this sort of movement in my, and pun intended, by the way, of, of what's happened in my life. I, I got up. I was fine. I felt like I was fine. I knew I had a concussion. I could feel it in my head. I just wasn't right. I'd cut my arm open. Um, I was trying to hide that from the doctors when they showed up. Uh, I denied a, a ambulance ride to the airport, to the hospital because I wanted to get, I was on my way to take a test. Ironically, I was on my way to take a physical therapy test. The tow truck shows up and I said to the tow truck driver, I'm out in the, I'm in the middle of the freeway. And I said to the tow truck driver, what way are you going? And he told me which way he was going and he was driving by my school. So I said, can you just give me a ride to this exit? He's like, yeah, sure. Puts my bike on the flatbed, jumps in, we start driving. He radios to his people, hey, I have the bike, I have the thing, I picked them up, blah, blah. and the guy, I'm going to drop the guy off at, on this exit. And they, the, the, his, his supervisor came on and said, you cannot do that. It's illegal to have him in your car. You need, to, you need to let him out as soon as possible. So he literally pulls off the side of the freeway and I have to jump out. So now I have my motorcycle bag 
my jacket on, my Kevlar gloves, and I'm holding my helmet, bleeding, standing on the side of the road. And I'm like, shit, I've got like 20 minutes to get to school to take this test. So I run down the off-ramp. I, there's a hotel right there. I run in the hotel. I had $80 or so in my account. I didn't have a, a lot of money. And I thought $20 would get me to school. So I pull $20 out, run out front of this hotel. There's a taxi sitting there. I jump in the taxi, tell them where I'm going. We get on the freeway. Well, it's, tr- it's tr- rush hour in LA. So we're on the 101. If anyone knows that's listening to this, the 101 heading into to like, to Hollywood is like ridiculous. The worst. Come around and I'm driving down the road and I'm looking at this guy's meter and it's tick, 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 tick. It's $18, $19. And I was like, crap, I don't have. So I said, sir, and we're, we're probably a hundred yards from my exit. I only have $20. And he slams on his brakes and starts yelling at me, get the F out of my car. We're giving my money. It was so, I'm like, can you just take me? And he, no, I'm not going to. It was, so I jumped out of the car. I had all my stuff and I was so tight on time. Dan, that I didn't want to run around two blocks to get to the front of my school. I had to, I wanted to jump the fence. So now I'm at the back of my school. I'm throwing my shit over the fence. I climb this fence, jump over, land on the ground, pick my stuff up, and I go running into the school. And by the way, the windows to my entire school faced the parking lot. So I had an audience watching me do this whole thing. (laughs) So I go running into the school. I go into the clinic. We had a, a, a two medical doctors. One was an internist and the other one was a gastrologist or something. I think that's actually the same thing. They, they, were, they did two different things. Oh, no, no. One was a plastic surgeon. One was a gastrologist. I ran into their office and I said, guys, can you stitch this up? And I showed them what happened to my arm. And they're like, well, we're not licensed to do that here. We can't do that here. I'm like, just come on. I'll shut the door. Like, I know you can do it. Like, no, we can't do that. So I ran to my class. I talked to the teacher. I explained to him what happened. Hey, I just got in this motorcycle accident. I think I need to go get stitches. He says, come back and take the class with the afternoon class. And it was like, I don't know, 11 or so in the morning now. Jump in the car. I have a friend take me to my to a, a clinic. It was nearby my clinic at the time. Remember, I had a practice going on at the time. So I was working with medical doctors. I called the guy that I knew, worked at an urgent care. And I said, dude, do you happen to be there? He happened to be there that day. So can I come by and get some stitches? And he's like, yeah, yeah, come by. I won't charge you. I'll fix you up. Run in. He starts stitching my arm up and he gets a call. He's the only guy in the clinic. So he has to go out and he's, ex- he's receiving someone coming in. And I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, doc, I got to go. So he stitched it up the right way about halfway through the, the, the scar. And then I just said, just hurry up and stitch the rest. So he spaced it out much bigger, which ended up causing a keloid on my arm. I had a big scar, went back, took the test. I didn't pass the test because I was in like I my just not I was in a different zone with my brain. But that day was that day was was definitely a sympathetic day. I was in a sympathetic state. I was in fight or flight the entire day. There's no way you can learn or even take a test when you're in that state. So I was trying to force through that and I ended up failing the test. I had to take the test over again, but that started this process of pain. That started this understanding of what pain was. I'd never been injured in, in um, sports. I, I tore a muscle on my leg, but it wasn't anything that needed surgery. So I'd never experienced what it was like to be a patient. And now suddenly I was a patient. And my lens that I saw things through was so different. And the pain was unrelenting. 
and and I re- I still remember that to today. It was on a different level. You know, I've, I work with a lot of medical doctors that have never had anything like that. And so they just don't understand that a 10 out of 10 pain is literally a 10 out of 10 pain. So that started my, my sort of romantic relationship with pain and understanding what it was and how nerve pain works and that there's nothing that even comes close to dealing with nerve pain that you can find in the market. No, no drug, no surgery, nothing that can do what I learned later on Theragun did for my body. But being in that, in that state from that day of the accident through to December of 2007, I like to tell people that necessity is the mother of invention. And I understand what that means. And I had a need that did not go away. It was there every morning. It was there every night. For the first several weeks, I couldn't sleep because the pain was so bad. Just constantly going into that place in my mind thinking, I've got to find something. Something has to take this pain away because it was getting worse and worse and worse. We're talking now to the founder of an enormous business in Therabody. And it all starts at that moment. How, like, how did you go from being a, you know, practicing chiropractor to a, essentially a product designer? Very different skill. So I'm in pain and I go to my practice and I'm walking around my practice looking at the different modalities that I had. And I knew instinctively which ones were going to help. And there weren't very many of them. I would look at attraction, I would look at ice, I would, and it just, I knew it wasn't going to feel good to my body. I was sitting in a room that we had a, a traction table in uh, when you're doing distraction on a patient, and that table vibrated. And as I was looking at the table, I was sitting there thinking, like, what's the science behind that? The science is the vibration inhibits the body's ability to splint or guard. So I was like, oh, wow, I wonder if that would work on this. Because that's all that was happening is the muscles were just cramping from the nerve being impinged on. And so I thought, I wonder if that would work for that. So I grabbed a chair, slid up next to the table, and I just rested my arm and armpit on the table. And I turned the table on. And that fast, I within seconds, I was like, oh my God, I was in heaven. And I thought it would last. But within about 30 seconds, it came back. And the pain came back even strong. So I, was, I, I took my arm off the table and I thought, gosh, dang it. So I put my arm back on the table and that's the practice I started doing all that day. I put it on for 30 seconds. The pain would go away and I'd come back. There's a thing that I learned that we talk about a lot and take for granted as humans called accommodation. I see you have an earbud in your ear. You probably weren't thinking about that until I just said that. Well, the pain that I had was so powerful that this vibration my body accommodated to it. That's what led to Theragun. I started realizing that vibration never leaves the body. So what if I made something that actually moved up and down, that didn't touch the body? What does that look like? So I would ask myself, what does that look like? So for weeks, I was like thinking, what could I do? I found another vibrating tool that was about the size of a Coke can. And I would just add a dial on the bottom and I would just hold that underneath my armpit but it did the same thing as the table. It didn't last. So I'm sitting in my apartment. It's three o'clock in the morning, early, early January of 2008. And I'm, I'm in my head about solving this problem. Necessity is the mother of, intention, uh, of invention. I'm sitting there thinking, 
okay, I need something to take this pain away and I need to take it away now and it can't be vibration. It's got to be something that moves. So I'm thinking, I can make one like that. So I went to my garage. I grabbed a couple of tools. Like a guy, you think that like if a little's good, a lot's better. So I grabbed a, what's called a sawzall and a jigsaw. I tried the sawzall first. I don't know if anyone knows what a sawzall is, but if you hold it in your hand, it looks kind of like a machine gun with a really long blade. And with one sawzall, you can tear down a house. That's how powerful these things are. So I got the, took the sawzall in and I bent the blade and I wrapped a dish towel around the blade and I wrapped electrical tape around the dish towel, propped it up on some books, stuck my thumb in the trigger, put the thing up underneath my armpit and I turned the trigger on and it jacked me for 30 seconds, 20 seconds. Bah, 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 bah. And I sat back for a second and I was like, what the hell? And the pain was gone. And I was like, whoa. But I realized from business terms, that's not scalable. <laughs> I can't do that to myself and walk around with this sawzall. Well, not without creating more injuries than you're actually solving. <laughs> yeah, right. So I grabbed the jigsaw and I did the same thing to the jigsaw. Now, here's the part that's fascinating that I tell people that I learned something really powerful. And I didn't mean to do this, which I think is part of the magic of this whole story. I turned this on and I had electrical tape around it. And I don't know if you know what electrical tape is. It's this black sort of stretchy tape, but the edges are sharp. So I couldn't, they wouldn't round around this thing. So I had these sharp edges. And as I'm moving them around my arm and I'm fixing the tape and I'm putting it around my arm and I'm fixing the tape, as I'm doing that, I'm realizing the pain isn't coming back. So I was like, wait a minute, what the heck? It wasn't called Theragun at the time, but I put this, this uh, jigsaw down on the table and I sat back for a second and I just waited for the pain to come back. Comes back and then I start doing it again. And I started experimenting with, my, with this thing. I started moving around my body and I realized as long as I had this touching my body somewhere, sometimes even on the bottom of my feet, the pain wouldn't come back. So if I left it in one place, the, my body would accommodate to that. So if I left it in one spot, just went up and down, up and down, up and down, after about 20 seconds, the pain would start to come back again because the body accommodates to that. But if I moved, if I kept it moving all around my body, the pain wouldn't come back, at least not an eight or a 10. It was like a three or a four. So now I'm able to relax, like my pupils would, would sort of undilate, they constrict, I'd get a little bit more like loosey-goosey, tired, I could take a little bit of a nap, but then the pain would come back. So basically I use this thing, and, and there's, a, there's a point to this that I think is important. I used this thing for the first three months of 2008 to get myself out of pain, just to keep me out of pain. I would use it before I'd take a shower, use it before I'd go to sleep, I'd wake up and use it throughout the night. Then the next two or three months was just really tension relief. Understanding that when I put that thing on certain parts of my body, I could move my arm through a range of motion where typically as a med, as a chiropractor, anyone that had any injury like that, that you can't move through that tissue. Like it's really hard to move through that stuff. And I'm like moving through it thinking, holy shit, how has no one thought of this? This has to be in the market somewhere because this is so profound in my life. Someone had to have thought of this. So I thought, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'll run into one later on. It's got to be in my world somewhere. That was fascinating to me that it wasn't in the market. So now I'm back to work and I'm going to the gym. And the gym, because I'm trying to build my strength back up, the gym is now causing pain. So now I'm using this thing at the gym for recovery. This is before recovery was a thing. 
Like this is before foam rolling was around. So I'm plugging this into Gold's Gym in Venice. I have all the weights wrapped around, brought around to where I could use this. And guys are like, what are you doing? And I'm telling guys like, dude, I'm not sore. If I do this between my sets, I am not sore. Biceps, 20 reps, Theragun. I didn't call it Theragun at the time. Makita Jigsaw. (laughs) And I started learning this and I got myself better to a point that I could go back to practice. When I went back to practice, I sort of thought to myself, like I said a second ago, I'll find something like this somewhere. So every time I talk to someone that was a DME, which is called the Durable Medical Equipment Sales Rep, they sell crutches and tape and different equipment. And they didn't know what I was talking about. Like they, they were like, what? So I'm starting to realize like people don't know what this is. In late 2008, a patient came in, my secretary handed me this paperwork and I started reading through this guy's paperwork. And as I brought it all to a a conclusion, I realized I could put my name at the top of this paper. It was the exact same thing. His injury was similar. He was a bus driver, head-on bus collision, went through his bus into the other guy's bus, jacked him up bad. His insurance was horrible. His income was low. All of the ingredients that made mine, made me do what I did, I realized this guy doesn't have the knowledge that I do. So he's not going to get better if I use the modalities I have in my office and I'm not just going to bring him in to take his money. So I said, let's take some x-rays, come back tomorrow. If you wouldn't mind, bring your wife with you. I have something I think is going to help you. So I brought this jigsaw in a grocery bag, walked in the office, sat down, closed the door, pulled this thing out. And I was like, this thing's going to help you. And his wife's like, what are we doing here? So I turned it on and I started using it on this guy's back and he was in heaven And I realized that what he was experiencing was something I experienced and I immediately felt for him. His wife looks at me and I'm like, look, just trust me. So I basically helped this guy go through what I had just gone through. I helped him deal with pain. Here, take this home, use it anytime you feel pain. You want to take a nap, you want to take a rest. And then we went, got into the next phase and then the next phase. Well, I've been um, in Utah to see my kids. I'd been gone for, I don't know, six, eight days or something. I came back and my secretary said, you should go see your patient. He's waiting for you in your room. Now, Dan, when, a, when your secretary tells that to you, that's usually not a good thing. Why are they not in the waiting room? Why are they in my room? So as I'm walking back, I'm thinking, uh-oh, what's the problem? Like, did he digress? Is he in more pain? Turn the corner, walk in my office, and he's sitting there with, the, with this Makita jigsaw running around his body. And he looks at me and goes, Doc, you've got to figure this thing out because this saved my life. That moment, the universe did an open hand punch to my chest. It, was, it felt like someone just hit me really, really hard. And I, was stand, I still remember where I was. I remember the windows. I remember the room where he was standing, a look on his face. And I realized this is where my journey starts. Like, I've got to figure this out. No one's crazy enough. No one would believe me. And no one is going to stick to this like I probably will. And so I thought, okay, I got to figure this out. So from that day, which was late 2008, until December of 2015, I made five different versions, selling some. The next thing I did was I called Kawasaki Jigsaw's power tools, and I said, I want to buy your cheapest jigsaw. How many of those can I buy? And they said, well, you have to have an account. And to set up an account, you need $2,500. And with $2,500, you can buy about 250 of these. I'm like, well... I don't have $2,500 to spend on a bunch of power tools. So I called my brother, who's a successful chiropractor, and I'm like, bro, can I borrow some money from you? 
I swear I'll pay you back. Yes, he's of course he's my bro. I get these jigsaws, I take them apart, I go to Home Depot and I buy a bolt, then I buy a, a fence post cap, and I buy a rivet, and then I go to a toy store and I buy a bunch of foam <laughs> golf balls, and I made the first Theragun. And it sounded like a chainsaw. I mean, you couldn't, sparks flew out the side. This was not conducive for a clinic. But I ended up making all 250, and every time I sold one of those, I learned something because I would tell the person that I sold it to, I need feedback. I'm going to sell this thing to you for a discount, but I want you to tell me what would that look like if it was perfect to you? So what came back to me was wireless. I don't need a cord. I want to be able to exchange the the attachments much easier. It's got to be quieter. And I would say, okay, if I had all of those things and was perfect for you, how much would you pay for that? I'd pay a thousand dollars for that. I'm like, oh my God, I have a plan. So I went out and bought a more expensive tool, something that wasn't didn't have a cord. So I basically went through these iterations. And by two, end of 2015, I felt like I had something that I could give to you and walk out of the room and you would be safe. You would understand how to use it and it would be effective and efficient for you. So I basically kind of created the Theragun, the massage gun space in those years. People didn't realize it because we weren't e-commerce. We weren't shipping these stuff. I was literally delivering these by hand. So in 2015, when I met my business partner, I had been through three business partners before him. I had to buy back my company. They were being dishonest. They weren't doing what they promised. I had to leverage some life insurance to buy some of my stuff back. It was those eight years were as hard as I can ever remember. And the hardest part was that family members and close friends were the ones that doubted me most. And I started learning that that is part of the ingredients of success. You're going to have the people that are closest to you question you. What are you doing? You're crazy. They feel like they have the calling to be the one that comes and shakes the the life into you. Like, hey, you got to stop being this way. You're 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 missing the your kid's life. Like, trust me, dude. Those years were so difficult because everyone had an opinion. And if you weren't someone close to me, and I used this on you, guess what I would hear? Do you know what I would do if I were you? <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time someone said that, I I, I learned so much through those years. There's a, there's a level of delusion you have to have. There's three words that I've realized in my life have made me who I am. Consistency, persistence, and delusion. You have to be delusional. Just enough that people are like, you're crazy. And when I hear that, I'm like, okay, I'm on the right path. But if you hear you're crazy, you're crazy, you're crazy, you're crazy, at some point you'll be like, wait a minute, what's going on? But there's there's a just enough of it that, that it, it adds up. And it's you know, the reason I say it's ingredients, because if you add too much salt to something, it doesn't taste good. It's just the right amount. So my point with all of that was by the time I met my business partner, my current business partner, having gone through all of those other ones and all those different issue issues, I realized what I needed. I needed someone that knew business, someone that could help structure the growth of a company, and someone that could help me run the things that I wasn't good at, quite frankly. I had laid the foundation for eight to 10 years of what this was. I'd learned the science. I learned how to talk about it. I had Justin Timberlake sharing this on a video without me even having to ask him for it. There was a lot of really magical things that were happening. It was a lot of lessons in those eight years as I built out those different Theraguns. I mean, people don't know this, but I spent almost two years on just the attachments, learning what the consistency of the material needed to be, that it needed to be lightweight, but it can't be porous. All these things 
that people take for granted. And to be honest with you, I get really frustrated sometimes because I see these peop- jackasses selling them on Amazon and they're literally copying the attachments that I made. And they don't even know why I made them. They don't even know what body parts to use them on. So it really frustrates me. But at the same time, I have to step back and be like, people don't know. They don't realize that there's, I've got over 500 patents in my name. We're launching our, we launched our G5 about six, eight months ago. That's the 12th version of Theraguns that I've made. I've been involved with. We have an amazing engineering team. We would not be where we are without them. And they are constantly innovating on new ways that we can make our product quiet. That's not just Dr. Jason's. It's all of these people collectively that have helped me from, you know, physios at Man United and Man City to Real Madrid, uh, the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, there's so many different people that have been involved in the, in the process of this. And that's why I feel like I still have a lot more work to do because I'm still getting feedback. It's not like people are like, well, nope, you did it. It's great now. The mini that you have, we still are iterating on that mini. We can make it a little smaller. We can make it a little more quiet. We can make it a little more powerful. We're constantly innovating. And that didn't start in 2016. That started back in 2008 when I was just sort of figuring this out. Okay. I mean, what I want to talk about numbers. Um, so what are you willing to share? By the time I met my business partner, my current business partner, I had spent about $200,000 of my own money buying my company back. By the time I met him, we sat down and we agreed that the company was worth a million dollars and he was going to buy 50% of that. And this is the fascinating thing, Dan, that I've learned over time that is really special about this brand. We didn't raise our Series A until last September. So six years later, we didn't have to raise. We had an evaluation of about $480 million. We did a celebrity raise, as we call it a strategic raise. And we had like Daniel Craig, 2 Chains, Justin Timberlake, Rihanna, Jay-Z. I mean, I can't even think of all the names. There's, they all put in a bunch of money. And I think the total raise then was like $25 million. But it wasn't about the money. It was about the names. So Justin Timberlake comes to me and he says, I want to invest in your company. And I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> like we were, we were so new. I didn't even know what that meant. Like, how do I do that? So we, when we finally got to the point that we could have investors, he jumped in right away, puts 200K in. Like that's his thing. He, I want to be, and when, he, when I see him, he literally says, I tell everyone I'm the first one. I knew this was going to do this. I knew this. So it's really fun to have that type of an energy and, and relationship with him. Those are the ways we raised the money. And that's the way we kept growing. Influencers to me were physical therapists, chiropractors, personal trainers, and coaches. If those guys used it on their people that are in their circle, it validates us in a way that no marketing can. So I wanted to make sure that they were empowered. This goes back to the BRT, support, educate. I would BRT, support them with product, and then I would educate them on what it was, knowing that that was going to come around as an investment. I don't know how many Theraguns we sold. I just know that my goal is to be in a billion households, and we're probably less than 5% there. Let's say we're 2% there. 2%? That means we can grow at least 10 times more and still not even be close to saturated. So for me, the goal really is getting this out there so people understand what it is. 10 out of 10 pain. Would you go back in time and change what happened? Would you take that motorbike away? Would you take the 10 out of 10 pain away? No, no, that's easy. 
because I realized the power, yeah, the impact that this has had and knowing that there's still much more impact it can have on life, it disrupted everything. I changed the way I thought about so many things. And at the time, I couldn't figure out why it was so hard. And now I look into the energy that needed to be put into this to have the effect that it has. No, I would not change a thing. Dude, it's been a massive pleasure interviewing you for Secret Leaders. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Dr. Jason Worsland on how you can turn your worst moments into the greatest inflection points for your life. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening to this episode of Secret Leaders. I've been your host, Dan Murray-Serta. The episode was produced by Ruth Edwards and Sol Harris. It was brought together by our head of podcast, Will Stolleman. See you later.